Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to continue with that today in Luke chapter 6. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of God. Thank you, Clayton, for doing that. Um, I'm going to step out of that just for a minute. Happy Father's Day. This place is full of dads. And I just want to say this just, just quickly. It has nothing to do with um, the, what we're going to do today, okay? But um, this church is chalked full of awesome dads. I want you to know that. Like Hill City dads crush it. And it's an honor to watch you be fathers like it's an honor to watch you become fathers we've been able to do that here one of the joys of my ministry is to watch dads be dads in this church because it's full of them full of good ones I should say Um, and I just want to tell you a few things this morning I I see some kids in the room so I want to talk to the dads and just the kids just kind of simultaneously. Just, this is just something I felt like doing, um, so I'm going to do it because I can. Uh, it's likely, kids, that nothing bothers your dad or works on the inside of your dad more than the thought of failing you as a father. Um, your dad has lost more sleep over you than you could ever imagine. Your dad's cried over you, and maybe, you're, maybe you've never seen it, but he has. Um, he's likely went to your bedroom while you're sleeping and watched you sleep, and then become overwhelmed with joy at the sight of you. And then, overwhelmed with the weight of the responsibility of raising you. Now, it's likely that he's probably never told you any of this that I just told you. 
the dads, it's probably likely you haven't told your kids that that's pretty common. Um, and, and I'm just telling you all of this this morning, I guess really just to tell you, give your dad some grace. And I know some of you are in here and it's like, dude, you don't, you don't know my dad. Like, he's a monster. And he did things to me. Like, I, I know that's some stories. And I guess my call to you would actually be the same. And if you're a follower of Jesus, just give your dad some grace, even in his failures. And, I, and, and for, for all of us, that's, that's something only Jesus can do. Um, happy Father's Day. Luke, chapter 6, verse 1. So there have been some themes that have been established up to this point by Dr. Luke as we're in this study. And one of them, in particular, is a theme of authority. So if you've been with us, you know we've talked about the authority, and specifically the authority of Jesus. And up to now, there have been multiple interactions with Jesus and the scribes, or the, or the Pharisees, or the scribes and Pharisees. There have been multiple interactions, and they are now watching his every move. And much of the reason they're watching his every move stems from this topic of authority. Like they have the authority in the land right now. And here is this carpenter's son turned rabbi who now has multiple times said he has authority and then demonstrated that he has authority. And the Pharisees do not like it. And there's a reoccurring question from this group of men in their encounters with Jesus, and that reoccurring question is why? They keep asking why. So, he, so he, he heals a man and then tells him, hey, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees say, why does he speak like that? He's blaspheming. And then he goes to this party with a bunch of hoodlums, Nobody likes these guys. They're jerks. And he goes to a party and he eats and drinks with them. And the Pharisees say, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, then last week we saw where the Pharisees say, why? why? Why do John's disciples fast, but yours do not fast? And it's pretty easy to see that these aren't really questions at all as much as critical accusations against Jesus. And this brings us to today's text, right? Now here's the reality. The tension is building and building and building, and today it is high. And what we have going on here is an escalation of conflict. We have drama. Now there's a writer, R.C. Sproul, writes a book called Preachers and Preaching, and one of the things he tells his students, he's like, when you're reading a text or you're teaching a text, try to pull the drama out of it. This is not a challenge today. Like it is all over the pages. Drama. It's my prayer that God would teach us something from this drama today. So we have two separate encounters that you heard Clayton read about. Two separate encounters. One is this announcement by the Savior, and this announcement is a big, big deal. And then we have this demonstration by the same Savior. So before we really start dissecting, let's pray. Just quickly, let's pray. Because God has something for us today. No question about it. God, you are 
good and you are a giver of good gifts. And we simply ask you this morning to open our eyes that we can behold wonderful things from your book. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's dive in. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath, let's stop right there because we got to figure out, like, that matters here. There's a theme of this passage, and it's mentioned over and over, over and over. Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. Now, here's the deal with Sabbath. It is very unique to this culture. Here we are, Bible Belt, Springfield, Missouri, salt of the earth people. We go to church every Sunday. Like, Sabbath is not a weird thing to us. It's kind of like what we do. Well, Sabbath was weird to the culture, but it was what the Jewish people did. It was like, think, of, think two things that separated, like the Orthodox Jew, they, they kind of had two things, Sabbath and circumcision, both super weird to the culture. But it separated them. And Sabbath was a way of life. It mattered. Why did it matter so much? You can go, I'll tell you why it mattered so much. You go to Exodus chapter 20, we see the Sabbath being established. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, this is the famous passage. Like God's giving his commandments, the Ten Commandments, and he starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So there's, hey, this is what I did for you now. Here's, here's the deal. And it goes and starts, un, starts telling and giving them commandments. And you get down to verse 8 of chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock or sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday, they were to abstain from all work because God set that time apart. And it was a gift from God. Imagine year after year after year, culture after culture, work work, work, it never stops. And all of a sudden, God, the giver of good gifts, says, don't work. It's a gift. It was a gift. So on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, that's Jesus, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And there's, there it is again. Why? <laughs> so, first of all, it was, if we really look at that, it was the disciples that did it and not Jesus. And then their question was, why do you do it? So right, right out of the gate, you could tell their hearts. But, that being said, these guys were not working, right? Guys walking, imagine you're walking through and you pick an apple off a tree, start eating. You're not harvesting apples. It wasn't work. They were not working. These guys were not guilty. They did not violate the law of God. But they did violate something. See, Exodus 20 said, on it you shall not do any work. They didn't, what, they, they weren't working. But they did violate something. And here's what they violated. 
the oral traditions of the Pharisees. Now, let's just sit right here and think about what that means. So oral traditions of the Pharisees. Basically what the Pharisees did, if you've ever heard the term reduce to practice. Okay, maybe you haven't. A lot of times it's a legal term. But So I'm, I was talking to my father. My father-in-law is, is an engineer, and he designs things to do things that are so beyond my brain capacity. It's, it's crazy. But, but he was explaining this to me. So he will design something. And then he will send it to a contractor, and then that contractor will essentially reduce to practice what he designs. I'm, pro- I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this. Like, if you're an engineer, just forgive me, okay? But essentially, this is like, just go with me, okay? So this contractor would then build it, and then the contractor would go back to the engineer. And then the engineer then sort of gets rid of the gray areas or says yes or no, or more, more importantly said, no, no, that's how I designed it to work, or no, that's not how I designed it to work. And then the contractor would then go back and, and reduce it to practice how the designer <laughs> intended it to work. Now the Pharisees, in an attempt to sort of reduce to practice Exodus chapter 20, they did something. Now, Daniel has, has talked a lot about the Mishnah, so I won't dive into that uh, too much. But in the Mishnah, around this particular commandment, the Pharisees then created 39 categories of work not to be done on the Sabbath. Like God said this, don't do any work on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees concluded, I think God needs our help explaining this. So what we're going to do is we're going to create 39 categories of work not to be done on the Sabbath. Four passages in the Old Testament address the Sabbath. Four passages. And then Jewish leaders then created 39 categories of work that contain 1,521 passages. So let's just have some fun here. Just, just go with me. Let's talk about these categories. The first 11 categories were activities required to bake bread. You don't do that. In those activities were reaping and threshing, which is what the disciples did. But they didn't break God's law. That was oral tradition added on to God's law. The next 13 categories are activities required to make a garment. The next nine categories are activities required to make leather. And the final six categories are activities required to build a structure or a building. So some specific ones. So something you didn't do on Sabbath was you didn't pull out your hide of an animal that you might have killed and cut it to shape. You want to make sure we're not doing that before we come to church. Another thing that would, would, would cause you to break the law is if you um, would write two or more letters. But you want to be careful because if you forgot and wrote two or more letters... And then you erased two or more letters. Now you're guilty of breaking two laws because you can't erase two or more letters either on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees look at Jesus. Why are you doing what is not lawful? Look at Jesus' response. This is awesome. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? Now, 
you probably missed it. But Jesus just looked at the most educated, well-read men in all the land and asked them, have you not read? Drama. Insulting. See, what he was talking about is a story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, and David, David had a group of mighty men, right? And they would just go out and kind of kick butt and take names. Well, they were fleeing from Saul, the king, because Saul wanted their heads, right? They were literally starving. And they come to the temple in 1 Samuel chapter 21, right? And you've heard in this passage, it was called the bread of presence, or maybe you've heard it called the show bread. And basically what that was, there was bread that were left on the table in the holy uh, place, in the temple. It was left on the table, and it sat there before the Lord for a week. And then after a week, they would take that bread off, and they would put fresh bread there. And that was the pattern. It was fresh bread before the Lord. But the bread that they took off, they just didn't throw away. The priest would eat it, and only the priest would eat it. And David and his men ate the bread, and God did not condemn them for doing so. Why? Because their legitimate need took precedent. And that matters. So Jesus brings this story up, knowing full well that the Pharisees had not only read the story, likely had the story memorized, but he also knew this. If you Pharisees are going to condemn me and my boys in the same breath, you will be, you will be condemning David and his boys. Do you want to do that? No way they were going to do that. David was the number one Hall of Fame king of their people. They obviously had read the story of David. They knew every story ever written of David, but they missed the point of the story. And Jesus will not conform to their oral traditions. Now, Hill City Church, here's the easy hot take for us that I want to warn us about. Pfft. Traditional Pharisees. Pfft. Traditions. You do anything traditional, you're just like a Pharisee. See, it's easy for us to forget to look at these Pharisees with grace, which in turn is going to make it impossible for us to look at modern-day Pharisees with grace. And we must know that we are as vulnerable as the Pharisees to miss the point of Scripture. It happens all the time. So this leads me. We must discuss this idea of principle versus practice. Principles of God's Word versus how you practice God's Word. Like practices do not carry authority. God's Word carries authority. Principles and practice is different. So I'll give you two examples of how this can play out right here with us, Hill City Church. Two examples. 
Two principles of the word of God. Husbands, love your wives. Another principle of the word of God, don't get drunk. Pretty simple, right? On their face, pretty simple. Here's what we don't ever want to do at Hill City Church, even unintentionally. We do not want to transfer authority to practice. Like how I love Jenny may be different than how you love your wife because they are different. So I'm going to be very careful to stand up here and tell you a practice on how you're supposed to love your wife outside of saying how Christ loved the church. But how that looks in your home is practice. We don't want to transfer principle to practice. So how I love my wife is going to be different than how the husbands in this room might love their wife. Principle remains the same. The practice is different. There are many, many people in Hill City Church who do not touch any kind of alcohol because that's how they would practice don't get drunk. But there are people who do. And here's what we're going to passionately teach from up here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And here's what we're going to passionately teach at this church. If you are a follower of Jesus, do not get drunk. Let's maintain distinctions between principles and practice. The Pharisees had made practice the authority. And here's actually what they did. They took something that was supposed to be a blessing and they made it a burden. In Mark's account of this, Jesus looks at, him and looks at these guys in this same conversation and he says, hey, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like this is a gift that I'm giving to my people. Don't make it a burden. God made the Sabbath to bless his people. Like Sabbath was supposed to be a reminder to Israel that they were chosen by God, that they were graciously delivered by God, that they were covenanted with God. That's what Sabbath was for. In this conversation with my father-in-law, it's funny, he said, you know, once a contractor and I, like when we got to know each other and we started working on multiple projects, he, he would actually start to know my thoughts and my heart and what I meant in my design. So much so that when I'd give him that design, he would come to me before ever reducing it to practice and he, he, he would say, hey, I think this is what you mean here, but can you clear this up? And, and yeah, that's what I meant. Good, okay, moving forward. The Pharisees did not know the heart of God. They did not know the mind and the heart of God. So Jesus then makes one of the biggest statements that he made in his, all of his ministry in verse 5. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, did I tell you there was going to be drama in this story? Okay. Imagine being a Pharisee. Who gave them the Sabbath, who told them about Sabbath, who demanded that they keep it holy. 
God. And here Jesus comes in. And this conversation goes in a whole new direction. Like, listen to me. Forget about if you're supposed to pluck a piece of corn on the Sabbath. Jesus just took this to a whole new level. It's not even like, what are you supposed to do? Jesus makes a statement about his identity. Everything changes with this statement. We have drama. He says, I am the Lord of this day. So it's funny because Luke just leaves it right there. Like this was such a big statement that I can imagine the Pharisees hearing it. I am Lord of the Sabbath. It's such a stunning statement. Nothing is even recorded. Like, I, I think he just said this. No way he just said that. Nothing's recorded. But it does prepare us for the next narrative. On another Sabbath, not even the same day, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So we now have our attention turned to this man with a deformity. See, the Pharisees were there and they anticipated that Jesus would heal this guy. Like, that's kind of what he's been doing. We're going to go watch and see if he's going to do this. They anticipated it. And let's be very clear. They did not care one iota about this man with a deformity. And Jesus was aware that the Pharisees did not care. He knew what they were thinking. So here's what he does right here. He initiates some conflict, drama. So he looks at this man that's deformed. Check this out, verse 8. So the scribes and the, Pharise seven, verse, the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. That's all they were looking for. Verse 8, but he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with a withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. Now, if any of us have ever come across and known anyone that has any kind of deformity, the last thing you want to do is go stand in front of a bunch of people. Right? Everybody looks at them all the time. So this guy comes to the synagogue, just wanting to learn some things. He's there, going to lay low. Like, I've had this deformity. It is what it is. Maybe Jesus will, will heal me. Who knows? I don't know if Jesus is coming today. He's there. Jesus says, you, come up here. <laughs> Dude, people look at me all the time. You got me coming up on stage. But Jesus knew their hearts. You can look at other accounts. He actually said he was angry. The man with the withered hand didn't ask Jesus to heal him or ask Jesus to bring him up in front of people. So let me just revisit a theme that we talked about just so we're clear. It is Jesus who pursues it was the pattern then, it's the pattern today. It is Jesus who pursues, it is Jesus who initiates. Make no mistake about that. He starts asking 
some questions. Jesus said to them, I ask you, this is the verse in other accounts, this is when you, Jesus was angry. He's like, I, Jesus knew the hardness of their hearts. He was, he was upset at the hardness of the heart. So he starts asking questions. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to destroy it? Now, if you are an underliner writer in your Bible, I would like just put a little star by destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. You got a guy, his hand is withered. He hasn't used it in years. It's likely they knew this guy. It's likely they knew his family. So just imagine this. One of our buddies or somebody that we've gone to church with or seen in church forever who has a deformity. Jesus says, stick your hand out. Perfect. Wait, and they're filled with fury? What is going on here? What is the issue? The issue is an issue of mercy. So maybe you haven't noticed, but Jesus' mercy has been a developing theme of his ministry as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke. He comes on the scene in his ministry in Luke chapter 4. You got this man with a demon, and Jesus heals him. Demon, gone, life, normal, mercy. Then he goes and he sees this leper, outcast, nobody touching him. A guy's got to yell, unclean, unclean, when he goes anywhere. And it's not that Jesus said, you're healed. Jesus reaches out and he touches him, and then he heals him. Mercy. He then goes and he sees a paralytic, a guy who cannot walk, hasn't walked in years. And it's not that Jesus just heals him. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He didn't even ask for his sins to be forgiven. Mercy. Jesus goes to a party at Levi's house and he sat with people who you are not supposed to sit with and eat and drink, but he did it. Mercy. Mercy matters to Jesus. Pharisees had lost their minds. There was no mercy in them. Like Israel had not seen mercy from its leaders in years. Enter merciful Jesus. A lifestyle of mercy is pleasing to God. And the Pharisees should have known this. They had their Old Testament. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where God says, For I desired mercy, not sacrifice, and knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly and to love 
mercy and to walk humbly with your God. How is our mercy meter, Hill City Church? Do you love mercy? Do you love being merciful? We are just as vulnerable to not show mercy as the Pharisees. It's like right now, I'm like biting my, this is that time I want to dive into the political scene of our day, of our week, and I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to ask you a question. Do you love mercy? But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. And it's in this statement of this passage that we are pointed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Like in this drama, Jesus, he pursued this, he pursued this man with a withered hand. In this drama, he confronted the Pharisees in the hardness of their heart. And here in this drama, he confronts you and me, Hill City Church. See, it would be, here's the deal. It'd be very, it was going to be very easy for me to get distracted in this passage and just kind of find ourselves on this day sort of dissecting and looking at the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. Like, what does that have to do with us? How do we Sabbath, right? Like, how do you relax? Or how, how can the Sabbath, or how does physical rest better for you that we can have better lives and, and get some rest? And I'm not saying that's not important. That's very important. But it would have been easy just to kind of camp out there and leave you pumped up with like, you guys need to go get some rest for crying out loud. That's important. It is important. But listen to me. I, I just look at us, Hill City, and I don't conclude that we struggle in that area. Like, look around us. We go from about 700 people during fall and spring to about 200 in the summer, okay? And you know, it's because people are resting their own boats and their own beaches and they're with buddies golfing. Like we, we kind of, we do okay there. And I'm not telling you to stop. Like I'm not trying to like, I'm not condemning that. Like go rest, do your thing. But, but today cannot be a day where I'm pumping you up and say, go get your rest, y'all. These two stories, this drama around Sabbath is not about how you and I are supposed to keep the Sabbath. This passage on the Sabbath, of course it's about Jesus. The original passage in Exodus chapter 20 about the Sabbath, is it's about Jesus too. Sabbath was created to point Israel to their salvation. It was a celebration of God delivering them. Sabbath was designed to point Israel to God's saving activity, but it was ultimately a picture of a better Sabbath that was to come, and it came, and his name is Jesus. And they discussed They were filled with fury, and then they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. What, what was there to discuss? Well, in Mark's account of the same story, they actually partnered with a group of 
jacked up people and they discussed how they might, you ready for this? Destroy Jesus. There's that word again. The question Jesus asked was like rhetorical. Is it better to save a life or destroy it? He knew, no, this is against your written oral code. You don't destroy on the Sabbath. And then they go and had a discussion on how they could destroy Jesus. They broke their own law. They broke their own practice. And it's in this statement that we are pointed to the cross, the creator of the world, the Lord of the Sabbath, the giver of the fourth commandment, would indeed make his way to a cross. And he would be suspended there between heaven and earth and the full cup of God's wrath dumped on him. For the sins of the world, the full fury of God on the Lord of the Sabbath for the sins of Hill City Church. Jesus did the work. The work. Like we talk about it here, right? The finished work of Jesus on the cross. He did it, and he would die as a substitute. And he would do it, and in doing it, he would provide for us rest. Sabbath. Rest that only can be found in Jesus. Hebrews 4 talks about it. Those of you who went through the Hebrews study, like this is so familiar with, with, with you guys. So Hebrews chapter 4 tells us there remains a Sabbath. There, there does. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But could it be that some of us, like we know how to get physical rest. Like I said, we've got beaches, like we've got boats, we've got buddies. Like we know how to get physical rest. But for some reason, some of us have not rested in years. Like I want rest for you, Hill City. I want rest. I want rest for your marriages. I want rest for your relationship with your kids. I want rest for you and your dad. I want rest for you and your career. But it's not found in physical rest on a beach. It's found in a person. We're going to receive communion. We do that every week here. If you're visiting, we, we receive communion. And here's what we're going to do. We, we're going to honor him today as Lord of the Sabbath, as our Sabbath. Like we honor him, and here's how we can honor him. We can honor him by resting in his finished work. That's where true rest comes from. Listen to me. He'll say, church, listen. We're never going to quit teaching and preaching this. We must we must, we must quit at arrogant attempts to do anything to earn our salvation or justification or acceptance by God and just rest completely in the performance and in the work of another, the Lord of the Sabbath. 
There's a guy I read. I want to put a quote up here. I read Jeff Vanderstelt a lot. He's a very missional-minded guy. And here's, here's what he says. True rest replenishes your soul. And Jesus showed us what it means to enter the rest of God. In Luke 6, 5, Jesus stated, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Some of us aren't resting because we don't realize that Sabbath isn't a day. It's a person. The Sabbath is Jesus. He's our rest. We must learn to rest in his work on our behalf. We can read Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and say it with me, and I will give you rest.